I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Philippians. We've been working our way through Philippians verse by verse, and today we land in verse 3. We're going to look at four verses this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. So I want to read our text for you this morning and just, just jump, jump right into it. Paul writes to those in Philippi, a church whom he loves, a church who loves him. He writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we have, we have come and sung songs of praise to you. I was really struck as we sung, I need thee every hour. God, and I just even confess that now, that I need you in this hour. Um, facing a bit of a cold this morning, as I have this week. I'm just facing a, a text which is rich, and Lord would long for you to be glorified as we just open this up, word by word, phrase by phrase, God, to, to capture the heart of Paul. I pray, Lord, that Paul's heart would be our, our heart, that we too would be thankful when the gospel progresses in whatever way it does. Help us, O oh Lord, as a, as a church, God, to... Um, to ever rejoice in the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my message this morning is entitled, Thankfulness, Thanksgiving, and Prayer. Actually, my, my title is not that. It's Thankfulness and Prayerfulness. Right? Thankful and Prayer for. Something like that. Just, just these two. I forget my title, really. I do. It's something to do with being thankful and being prayerful. Okay? How did I write it down? Thankful and prayerful. That's, that's what I want. Just, just these two ideas. All right. We're off to a roaring start here already. Well, these two ideas really dominate our, our text. He says, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And, and everything really here is, is about why he's praying, about why he is thankful. And, and everything in these verses hang on these two thoughts. These two themes are not unfamiliar to the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he wrote to the Thessalonians. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. Or in Colossians 1, 3, he wrote, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Again, thankfulness and prayer. To Ephesus, he wrote, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. To Philemon he wrote, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. This is what Paul's heart and his disposition almost always was to every church he wrote. I'm, I'm thankful for you, constantly mentioning you in my prayers. And they, they dominated Paul's letters because they dominated his life. He was a thankful man. He was a, a prayerful man. In fact, in many ways, Paul followed his own counsel. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And there you see those two things. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, just talking about praying, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. In all things, we're to be thankful and prayerful. And indeed, that's what Paul was. He thanked God in all of his remembrance of those in Philippi, always offering prayer with joy in his every prayer for you all. And just even as we begin this, I just say, is this, is this your heart? Are you a thankful person? Are you a, a prayerful person? That's the application that Paul gives in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. That's the the model that, that Paul follows here. He says, in everything are you thankful and prayerful. Right? Whatever takes place in your life, are you thankful? Whatever concerns come upon you, are you prayerful? 
Or do you do the opposite of praying, just think that you can solve the problem yourself? Or when you think of others, are you thankful? Or are you critical? Or when you encounter difficulties in your life, are you prayerful? Or do you try to address it on your own? Do you think about Paul? What, what made Paul so prayerful and so thankful? Was it his circumstances? No. When he wrote these letters, he was in prison. Chapter 1, verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. He's in prison. And prison back then was a lot worse than prison today. Today you get three hots and a cot, is what they say in prison. But back then you would not get any of those things. You had to have people from the outside bring you food if you could make it. It was not his circumstances. He was not in a good situation. Well, well you say, well, maybe Paul was thankful and prayerful because he had a, a peaceful situation or, or things were at peace. And I say no again. There were those outside the prison seeking to cause him distress. Chapter 1, verse 17. You say, what then? What, what made Paul so thankful? What made Paul so prayerful? And here's what it is. It's the Gospel that did. In fact, it was the way that the Gospel was working in the lives of the Philippians. So it made him thankful. In fact, in these four verses, we're going to see three things of how the Gospel worked in the lives of the Philippians for which he was thankful and prayerful. We're going to look at those first. Let's look at the first reason why Paul was thankful and prayerful. First of all, verses 3 and 4, because of their past. Now, that's a, this is a lame, okay, a lame, lame point here. Uh, I was searching for a word. I couldn't find a word, quite frankly. The, Paul was thankful for their, for their memories, what it says here. Verse 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time he remembered them. And, and so, I, so I thought about thankful. He was thankful for the memories, but, but that doesn't quite hit it as well, because that kind of like says, oh, you know, we had such a good time together. And, but that wasn't at all. He, he's just thankful for everything that he remembers about them. Particularly, he's thankful for their faith. And he's thankful for the way that, that they embraced the gospel and came to believe it and, and trust it. Trusted it. And in fact, what Paul does here in verse 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He, he just reflects upon his experiences with the Philippians. As he reflects upon them, he gives thanks to God. He, he remembers the day that he and Silas and Timothy stepped foot in Philippi. And, and he remembers the first few days they spent there. Because he spent a few days there. And then on the Sabbath, so maybe he arrived on a Wednesday or a Thursday, but on the Sabbath, on that Saturday, he went down to the river where he first met those women who had assembled there. And, and he remembers that and reflects upon that. And, and he remembers how he was speaking to them about Christ. And how the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things of which Paul spoke. And he remembers how she believed and how she was baptized. And, and how then she urged him right away, saying, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house to stay. And he remembers her, his visit there with her. And he remembers sharing the word with her whole family. And, and he remembers those pleasant days. And every time that he remembered them, he thanked the Lord for them. And it wasn't all pleasant in Philippi. You remember there was that slave girl who greatly annoyed Paul. He had to cast a demon out of her. And then there were the false accusations that came in a night in prison. And yet when Paul thinks back upon Philippi, he thinks back in a thankful and prayerful way. In fact, even while he was there, he was thankful and prayerful. Remember how he and Silas were in prison and they were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and eventually it led to the conversion of the jailer when he asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he believed. And his household believed. And they were saved. And Paul and Silas were invited to the home of this jailer. And he spoke the word of God to them. And how they all believed together with his whole household. This whole household was baptized. And Paul, as he remembers back on those things, even the difficulty difficult things. He was very thankful. That's what the point of verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I just, just thinking about them, everything that he remembers, he is just thankful to God for them. Whenever he thought of the Philippians, his thankfulness ascended to the Lord. But that first initial visit wasn't the only time that 
He went among the Philippians. He visited them twice more on his missionary journeys. Remember that? His third missionary journey. He went up through Philippi and down to Corinth and back again. He visited them on several occasions. And, and surely that, that filled his mind with more memories of these in Philippi. He saw the, the church grow. And surely those, those who he, he met initially evangelized and they shared the gospel many others believed. And so as he went back to the church, he saw this church constantly growing. More and more people coming to faith in Christ. It was probably during one of those visits that he, he met Epaphroditus, a faithful servant to the Philippians. In fact, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 30, that he was willing to risk his life for the sake of Christ. In fact, he even came close to death for the work of Christ. Such was Epaphroditus, probably one of their own. And there was Clement also. He's mentioned in Philippians 4, verse 3. As a fellow worker, his name is in the book of life. And there were other women in the church, she met Yudia and Syntyche on one of those visits as well. And even though things now for them aren't going so well, we'll find out that in chapter 4, he, he still looks upon them and with thankfulness. The work that God was accomplishing through those in Philippi also was no stranger to Paul. He, he knew what God was doing among them. He rejoiced when he thought about them. He thanked them and he prayed. He thanked the Lord and he prayed for them. In fact, furthermore, not only is just his visits of people that he had there, there, there were other things that caused Paul to give thanks to the Lord. He remembered his, their kindness to him. It, it, turn over to chapter 4. You know what? Yeah, chapter 4. We'll read of how they sent several financial gifts to Paul to support his ministry. That's what he's talking about here in chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Paul is, is rejoicing that now at last you revived your concern for me. That is, you, you've given to me. You've given a gift to me. Chapter 4, verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the Gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You gave to me. And so he reflected upon how they, how they gave to him before in the past and, and how even in recent days they supported Paul's work. And as all these kings came to mind, again, chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Whether it was first-hand witness of, of the Philippian jailer or Lydia or, or whether it was second-hand testimony hearing through Epaphroditus how things were going or, or whether it was the kindness of, of the gift that they had sent, Paul was thankful. In fact, you can see how prayerful and thankful he was by just these, these all and every words. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Just every remembrance he has. He just comes before the Lord in thanksgiving. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. It just shows how earnest he was. Always praying for every occasion. Always turning his hearts heavenward. Lifting up his prayers to God. And this was no burden to Paul. It's not like God told him, okay, every day between 9 and 10, you need to get down on your knees in your prayer closet and you need to do your duty to pray. No, it's not like that at all. It's not like he was required to. And that's right here, even what verse 4 says. Right? I'm offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul was thankful. He was prayerful. He was joyful. And it's right here we see the theme of Philippians. I trust I have a slide. I don't have a slide up there. That's, that's okay. If we don't have a slide, that's all right. Right? What's the theme of Philippians? This is a big test, right? You don't have the answer, right? What's the theme of Philippians? It is rejoice in the gospel. And, and here you see Paul rejoicing, having joy in the gospel. And, and I think it's because when he thinks about the Philippians, he's thinking about what the gospel has done in their lives. He remembers how they, they came to faith. Now they told others of Jesus. He remembers how others came to faith in Christ. He, he saw how they grew in the gospel, how they sacrificed of their finances to share in the work of the gospel. And that's why I think why Paul prays so earnestly, because he rejoices in the gospel. He desires it to progress. And as these people embraced the gospel and, and then did what they could to cause it to go forth, he rejoiced. I think here's a great point of application, right? It's, it's well good and well to look at how Paul prayed to his God and was thankful for these things, but really is, how thankful are you for these things? Do you pray to your God in thankfulness for what the gospel does? How much do you rejoice when the gospel takes root at Rock Valley Bible Church? Is that your joy? 
you know, and, and I, I trust that your joy. I know there's nothing more exciting than seeing, seeing people come to embrace the gospel of Christ. It's it's encouraging as people do that. Right. When, when you see someone lost in sin, who repents of their sin and turns and trusts Christ for their forgiveness, you know of the eternal joy that awaits them. You know the, of the glory of Christ that it brings to him. In fact, all throughout all eternity, Jesus will be glorified by those of us who have come to faith in Jesus. And you know, it's just one more voice to the choir. Let's make the choir bigger when people come to faith in Christ. But here, here's the question. To what extent are you thankful and prayerful for the gospel? Do you really pray with thanksgiving when you think of the things taking place, say, at Rock Valley Bible Church? Or do you really pray with thanksgiving whenever where witnesses grow the gospel, people are growing it, the gospel at Rock Valley Bible Church. When you see people grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, when you see people grow in their passion for Christ, when you see people more quickly confessing their sin, it's just like, yes, they're getting it. We're getting it. We're understanding what it means to live by the gospel. Is that your heart? Now, see, it's interesting. Unlike Paul, Rock Valley Bible Church isn't like like. Months travel away. Rock Valley Bible Church is here. You get to see it every week or every day as you interact with people of the church. Do you find your joy when the gospel flourishes here at church? I think you do. But maybe let's take it another step. How much do you actively pray that the gospel would flourish at Rock Valley Bible Church? That we would see people converted like Lydia and the Philippian jailer. Do you actively pray for the Lord to open hearts, people in Rockford, to the glories of Christ? Do you actively pray the Lord to bring folks like this jailer in Philippi to come to trust Jesus? Do you? A few weeks ago, I was super encouraged at our prayer meeting because this one, it, was, it was like three weeks ago. I remember I commented to you, Yvonne, about just how how outward focused, how evangelistic, how pleading the Lord it was for God to bring people to faith in Christ. People were talking about relationships they had. People were talking about friendships they built. People were talking about opportunities they had to, to share of Jesus. And we're requesting, pleading that the Lord, He'd open hearts. And the majority of the time, we probably spent 20 minutes just praying and pleading for God to work. It was, it was um, one of the best prayer meetings we've ever had. Because sometimes prayer meetings, quite frankly, can be pretty bad. When someone says, well, do you have any prayer requests today? And someone says, well, Aunt Martha has a toenail that's kind of hurting her. And whatever, so-and-so had uh, some accident. But how different it is when you say, I, I was with a neighbor the other day and shared the gospel. Pray that that gospel would take root in his life or or with a, a relative, or with a letter you wrote, or with a concern of someone whose life can be changed. And when you're praying for people that God will work in their life, it changes everything. And I just say this, may the Lord be pleased to answer our prayers. May the Lord cause the gospel to, to flourish. I encourage you to be praying, like Paul is here. I encourage you to come to our prayer meeting. We've tried to make it as convenient as possible. Nine o'clock on Sunday mornings. You know, many churches have their, their prayer meetings on Wednesday when they're running the Iwana program, when they're having their youth program, when they're having the choir practice, kind of like anybody left over comes here. And oftentimes it's just a, a pastor opens and they have Bible study for an hour and a half and then five minutes of prayer. That's not what we want. We want the whole church to come and assemble. So on Sunday morning, all I need to do is just come an hour early. We just meet right over there in the in the family room, would really encourage you to come. It's a way to really pray. Now, maybe you are praying on your own. That's wonderful. But if you, I, I really encourage you. We've tried to remove all barriers. Right now, there's about 30 of us who come to that prayer meeting kind of a, on, a, on a regular basis. I counted today. We had about 20. We're down a little bit today. Um, and, and my vision is that we'd grow out of that room there and so we'd have to meet here in the auditorium, that we would pray and seek the Lord for an hour before our service starts, and then we'd come and worship. You think that would change the flavor of Rock Valley Bible Church? I think it would change it a lot. You know, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Might it just be that Rock Valley Bible Church doesn't have because we are not asking the Lord together? 
And so I ask you, if you're not attending prayer meeting, why not? Why not? Now, you can think maybe you're not interested. Maybe you don't see it as a priority. Maybe you have an extra hour of sleep. Maybe that's your reason. Maybe there are real reasons. With small children, it's difficult. I know that. Some of you on the midnight shift, uh, an hour early is very hard. I know there are a thousand difficulties in your life. And, and, and it, if you say, you know what, I can't come because of this, that's okay. I'm not going to like inquire and say, why don't you come? Why don't you come? I'm not going to twist your arm. We want people willingly to come. But I just say this, that Paul is so prayerful and thankful in all his life. One expression might be for us to gather as a church together, being prayerful and thankful together. So you just think before the Lord why you don't come and you be content with your, your reason why you don't come. That's good with me. All right. Paul was thankful and prayerful for the past, for all that he remembered. And secondly, Paul was thankful and prayerful for their partnership. We see that there in verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel. Now, this verse only makes sense if you, you start back, right? Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of, here's why he's, he's praying and why he's thankful and why he's joyful. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Verses 3 and 4 call to mind how the gospel impacted the Philippians. And verse 5 now brings to mind what they actually did with the gospel. Paul said that they participated in the gospel. In the ESV and the NIV, they translate this way. In view of or because of your partnership in the gospel. That's where I get my point. Because I think the partnership is probably a, a better idea there. That they're partnering here but, but let's, let's, let's go to what this word actually means. If you have a King James or New King James translation, it says this, uh, because of or for your fellowship in the gospel. The Greek word here translated, participation or partnership or fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. If you've been around church for any while, you've heard this word. Literally, koinonia means, means a sharing or, or something in common. Most often translated fellowship. It's a term that Christians use when they talk about their social gatherings. Church buildings often have rooms called the, the fellowship hall. Thinking that fellowship happens when you eat cookies together and drink red punch together. Yes, maybe, somehow, but fellowship is a lot bigger than that. It, fellowship is about sharing of lives. Fellowship is, is about you giving and, and someone giving to you and what I have is yours and what you have is mine and my time is yours and your time is mine. I'm in your life and you're in my life. That's what fellowship is. In fact, that's what the early church did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church continually devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. It's one of the the uh, pillars of the early church is just they're constantly devoting themselves to fellowship. It didn't mean that they were eating cookies and drinking lemonade together, okay? But what it meant was that they were sharing their lives with each other. And that's what a church should be about. We are sharing our lives together. We are doing life together. A few verses later, we get an idea of what happened. After Acts 2.42, this is 2.44, all those who had believed in Jesus were together and had all things in common. This word common is the Greek word koina. It's a, it's a verbal stem that's equal to koinonia or koina. It just means common. They, they had all things in common. And, and you say, what does that look like? Well, in the early church, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. If there was a need, they'd sell their possessions and give. They were just sharing what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Voluntary communism, if you will. Different than political communism. And on a smaller scale, when you're personally, hey, if someone has a need. And I know that happens here. If you have a need, someone in the church will probably fulfill it. Uh, as many of you know, we, I put out in the weekly word how we cut down our neighbor's tree the other day. It's a service to him. He has prostate cancer, just had surgery. And uh, meaning to cut down the tree, he couldn't. And so we were able to do that. But you know what? I asked, hey, have you got a chainsaw? I, we, we got an extra chainsaw. And uh, Dirk Reed let us borrow his trailer. 
And, and I called him up knowing full well, hey, Dirk, we're doing this project. And uh, can we borrow your trailer? It's like, sure, not a problem. And, and Dirk even spent a bunch of extra time with me as we took the, the tree uh, off some place. And I know that there are many men, many people, many ladies. We, we share, we give food. There's a lot of sharing that goes on at Rock Valley Bible Church. And that's what's being talked about by this word koinonia. That's what fellowship means, sharing your life. Okay, so let's go back to verse 5. In view of your fellowship in the gospel, that is in view of your sharing in the gospel, that is in view of your participation or partnership in the gospel. There was something that, that Paul was doing that I'm doing and I'm helping you in the gospel and you're helping me in the gospel. And Paul said that from the very first day of the church, in view of your participation in the gospel, from the first day until now, I believe that's from when Lydia was converted. From that very first day, that very first moment, the Paul and the Philippians had this united heart that they were working together. They were teammates in the gospel. You've seen the volleyball players, right? They all come together after every point, right? And they're all together and they cheer and they go. Or football players, they come together in the huddle. Or, or basketball players, right? They all huddle up. And that's what Paul did with those in Philippi. They all huddled up together and they said, we are in this together. Even from the very first day. We looked at this before. Let's look at it again. Chapter 4. Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You were the church that shared with me in the matter of giving and, and, and um, receiving. And so what do you think this word here is for shared? No church shared with me. There it is again, koinonia. No church was, was in fellowship with me. In teamwork with me, in partnership with me, in, in the gospel, but you alone. For even, verse 16, in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And, and then he's so good because he often clarifies, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. Paul's saying, it's not about that, that I'm getting wealthier, I'm getting rich. I'm just saying that we're sharing in this thing together and I'm rejoicing in that. And Paul says, when the gospel came to Macedonia, people were being saved, churches established, but few were really partners with me. When Paul came and preached the gospel and established a church, they said, oh, thanks, wonderful, now we can worship Jesus. And Paul kind of went on his way to the next town. They kind of forgot about him. But the Philippians were different. They were sharing their resources. They were helping in the progress of the gospel. No church shared with me. Meaning that they were giving a gift. In fact, it says in verse 16, even Thessalonica, he was there for three Sabbaths. He was there for probably 15, 18 days. In 18 days, they'd set two different, two different financial gifts to help him in the gospel. From the very first day, they didn't keep it to themselves. They shared what they could with Paul so the gospel could continue to go forward. Hey, there's a blessing to us, Paul. You've been a great blessing to us. Here, here's this financial gift. So you go be a blessing to other people. And that's how the gospel works. So we rejoice in the gospel. And, and I just say this, is that in all ministry, there needs to be partnership. I mean, think about the partnership that goes on at Rock Valley Bible Church. Week by week, you all are gracious. You put a gift in the, in the offering box in the back. A portion of that gift goes to the upkeep of the building. We need to pay for air conditioning. We need to pay for heat. Um, a portion of that goes towards the maintenance of our ministry. Lance does a great job of cleaning the church. Uh, often, Tina has a great job of helping administratively get some things done. Um, but a portion, a large portion of that gift goes to me and my family so that uh, we can live. You free me up so I have time and energy to serve you all. Uh, a good portion of my, my time is spent in prayer and the ministry of the Word. A, a good portion of my week is dedicated preparing on Sunday. A good portion of my week is focused on private ministry of the Word as well. In fact, I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I have, every week I have, before I start my week, I have 11 meetings that I, I have with people the church are reaching out. It's just like, like, like to start, I have 11 meetings. That's not including Sunday morning gatherings, not including prayer meeting or, or what's, what's taking place here. It's not including the various calls throughout the week or the email communications I have or the notes that I write or projects that come up from time to time or the visits or the ball games maybe I go and see you kids play or the dinner I have at your house or the visit to the hospital or the marriage counseling or the, those things that come up from time to time to time, which are wonderful and I love. Um, but of those 11 meetings, 
summer meetings with individual men of the church, key men of the church. I just say, I need to build into these people's lives. Some are with groups of men, like elders or other men I'm seeking to impart my life. Some are with families, like a small group meeting that we have tonight. Some with kids, the outreach, I'm trying to, trying to do that. In all these meetings and ministration, my aim and my goal is to, every time, see the gospel progress at Rock Valley Bible Church. And I just say this, without your financial partnership with me, in that matter, I couldn't do all these things. There's no way I could work full-time and have 11 meetings just kind of right off the top and then, and then do a bunch of, of other things. I'm thankful for your participation in the gospel with me as we seek to cultivate a, a community here. And I'm blessed to be able to commit myself fully to the ministry of the Word. And I say thank you. But our partnership goes beyond just, just with me. It goes also to the world. Uh, right now, we're in a, a state where we, um, we allocate 19% of our undesignated giving to missions. Um, and it's just 19% because that's where it was. That's where it is. We get 1% one, 1% also to adoption, which maybe is missions. It's not, it's not us, the people in the adoption. So it's kind of like a 20% that we're kind of give away towards ministry. Um, but these are, these are things outside of us to ministry of the world. I mean, last week, Gary Weeby stood up of how we gave $10,000 to farms to be able to start these microloans in uh, Laos and uh, Thailand. Um, we've given to <clears throat> First Love International for years. Last year, we were able to give them $15,000 to help build that children's home in Siliguri where uh, Darren and I hope to visit coming in November just to finish that building, really to help towards that. We've committed to give $5,000 a year to Leadership Resources, who I've gone to Nepal with, who are doing a great job of training pastors worldwide. Those pastors don't have training. We've given to Slavic Gospel Association. We've given to Rob Provost in his ministry in Albania. And when I say we, I mean you have given to those sorts of things. And it's a joy and a privilege to partner with ministries like that who are furthering the gospel. And it just happens week by week as you give gifts to this church. And I say, just pray for us elders as we try to figure out how we, how we give that money away. It's, it's one of the jobs I like most. It's like, okay, we got this, this money. That when you start 19% of all that comes in, I mean, that, that just grows pretty fast. You're like, where's a, where's a place that we can bless deeply? You know, we're, we're not just kind of throwing it out there on the water and have it go away. We're trying to find out people we know, people we trust, who are doing a good work, and we're going to support them deeply, whatever we can. And it is a joy to do that. And just know, we've said this before, we're constantly seeking to increase that percentage. We'd love to be at 50%. Half of our income coming in, we love to push that out. Because I do believe, as Jesus said, from everyone who's been given much, much will be required. In America, we've been given much. And so we need likewise to give much. And I just say, let us rejoice in our opportunities we have to partner with others in the gospel. And I'd say that's even only 19% only a partial reflection of the giving at Rock Valley Bible Church to missions because I know many of you support individual missionaries and I would encourage you to do that. Um, I, it, that just, whatever, that just increases. So we would, if we, if we as a church are spending half our money away, that means that more than half our money is being sent and given away that we give to, to the Christian causes. And I think that's great. And I would encourage you to, to give above and beyond just to those who you you know, respect, you're doing a great work. And in many ways, you can invest in other people faster than we as a church can because we are accountable to make sure that that money is invested wisely. You all can just say, hmm, it sounds like something here. I'll just, I'll just give to that effort. And if it turns sour or something, you're like, hmm, okay, well, at least I gave. But we as a church, we need to be more careful, whatever we can give, just to be more accountable on that. Um, in fact, I received a note from the, the provost family. We've supported them for years uh, financially, and, and, and so I want to read a thank you note that they wrote. It says, uh, Stephen Yvonne, hello, dear friends. How are you doing? It says, thank you for being a blessing to our family. Let's get together soon so we can hear about SR's trip to the fatherland, as we call it. They're in Albania. SR went to Albania recently. It says, thank you for continuing to preach and teach the Word of God with passion and clarity, Steve. May the Lord grant more fruit in the days ahead. Thank you for your prayers as we mobilize more for the harvest field in the neo-Ottoman world. And then here's the sentence I want you to see. We are grateful for your partnership in the advance of the gospel. Rob and Pam. 
That's the partnership that, that Paul is talking about here, is partnering in the advance of the gospel. That's exactly what Paul says here in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. I'm thankful and prayerful and joyful in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And it only makes sense that my thank you note from the provost looks just like Paul's letter to the Philippians. Because you remember a few weeks ago I said that the letter to the Philippians really is a thank you note. Paul was was thanking them for how they had helped him financially. In fact, go back over to chapter 4, verse 18. He says... Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Because if you give to others, you give to the cause of world missions, what's happening? You're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're getting an account for yourself. And he's rejoicing in that. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The church in Philippi sent a letter to Epaphroditus, sent financial gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. And what Paul is doing is now sending this thank you note back with Epaphroditus. The church in Philippi supported him on the the very first day of ministry. And now here it is, a decade later, they're still supporting him in his missionary abilities. However, it hasn't always been constant. In fact, look at verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, they gave it first, but for some reason they, they lacked opportunity. And you can read in 2 Corinthians about the poverty of which these people live. They didn't have opportunity, but now they have an opportunity. And even it says in 2 Corinthians, they gave out of their poverty. <laughs> but here they have an opportunity and they're giving. And so there has been some gap there. There has been some... Paul said you were concerned, but you, you, you couldn't give. And I just, when I talk about giving, I just say God knows where all of you are. And, and God knows what you can give. And God, how do you say this? Don't ever feel guilty when you just say, God, this is all I can give. Because God knows full well all you can give. And so rejoice in that. But here these are Philippians. that They gave it first, but they couldn't give for a season. And then when they had opportunity, they gave And Paul, look again here, verse 10, he rejoiced in the Lord greatly, rejoicing at how the Lord stirred their hearts of these saints to see and give towards gospel progress. And I just say, may we at Rock Valley Bible Church have the same heart to rejoice when things are given to see the gospel progress. May we have the heart of the church at Philippi to give. May we have the heart of Paul to rejoice in the gospel. Well, let's move on to my third point this morning. Paul was thankful and prayerful for their, their past or their memories or their faith, whatever you put there. Number two, he was thankful and prayerful for their partnership in the gospel. And thirdly, he was thankful and prayerful and joyful for their destiny. We see that in verse six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here we see Paul. Again, rejoicing in the gospel. Once again, he's rejoicing in the fact that when God begins a work, he finishes that work. Now, my home is a testimony of unfinished projects. I have a list on the whiteboard of our kitchen wall, which slowly speaks out of all the projects that I need to do. I have in the back of my mind all these little projects that would take maybe 10 minutes to finish that I don't finish. Or some of these projects that would take just a day Take, take my day off on Monday. Just take that day off and focus on this project and it would get done. Well, such is not the case with the Lord. When He begins a work in our hearts, He finishes that work. Theologians call this the perseverance of the saints. In other words, when someone truly comes to faith in Christ, they will never lose that faith. It's not because of the power in them. Rather, it's because of the preserving power of God. In fact, that's why many theologians call this the preservation of the saints. That's what we had here. Verse, verse 6. I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he is the same one who will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God who began the work is the same one who's going to keep the work, and he's the same one who's going to perfect the work. 
because God is the one who does it. Jesus said this way, this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on that last day. John 640. If you believe in Christ, you will be raised up on that last day. Elsewhere, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's like, Dad, when you've got a candy in your hand and your, your little five-year-old is going after your candy. If you don't want that five-year-old to get that candy, there's no way it's going to happen. And that's what, that's what God says. When I have a believer in my hand, there's no way that Satan is ever going to snatch that Dear one, out of my hand. What God begins, He completes. That's what chapter 1, verse 6 says. So why is Paul so confident? In fact, that's what, how verse 6 begins. I'm confident of this very thing. Here's why he's confident. Because he saw fruit in their lives. He saw them believe. He saw them continue in the heart for the Gospel from the first day of their conversion. He saw them several years after the church began how they were continuing in the faith. And he had seen their heart for the gospel here. It was about ten years after the church was planted. For ten years he saw how they'd established a pattern of obedience and submission. And Paul wrote this. I'm confident that what God has begun in you, God will perfect it and complete it. See, when people persevere in their faith, it really just gives evidence that God is the one who began a good work in their life. And if God truly began a good work in their life, He will perfect it and finish it. That's why Paul can say, I'm confident God had begun the work. God had continued this work and God will complete this work. See, because there are many people, I'm sure that you all have experienced this, many people who begin the Christian life who never end the Christian life. You guys know know people like that? I know scores of people like that. I mean, names and faces can come to my mind. I've seen many people, right, pray some kind of prayer or make some sort of commitment to Christ or, or make some effort to reform their lives, but after some time, they're no longer interested in the things of God. And, and when you see those people, here's what you can be assured of. You can be assured that God never began the work in them. There was just a, themselves. They started it themselves. And they, they said, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to be this. Or maybe they're, they're broken, but never genuinely broken. And what they started, they never could complete on their own. But see, when God starts a work, God completes it. And that's what happened to the church at Philippi. God started the work. You remember how Luke describes what took place when Paul initially came to Philippi? I read Acts 16.14. This is how the Bible describes the starting of the church at Philippi. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. It's God who began. It's God who opened the heart to respond. She didn't respond on her own. She responded in response to God opening her heart. And you see the Lord working behind the scenes. In fact, I would argue that the church at Philippi started even, God's working in the church at Philippi started long before even Paul showed up to town. It began when Paul and Silas and Timothy tried to go into Asia. I showed that to you on the map last week. Remember that? They tried to go into Asia, but Acts 16, verse 6 says that they are forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They said, okay, let's go to Asia. And forbidden. I don't know what that meant, but they tried to go there and they were stopped. Why? Because they need to get to Philippi so they can talk to Lydia because God was going to open her heart. And so they tried to go south into Asia and then they tried to go north into Bithynia. That's what they tried to do. And it says in Acts 16, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Why Why didn't they go into Bithynia instead? Because God was planning this work in Philippi. And, and, and when they were like in a stupor in the night, like, oh, what should we do? Paul had this vision of this Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Where do you think that vision came from? It came from the Lord. And, and Paul concluded rightly. Here's, listen to how Paul concludes that they need to go to Macedonia. Macedonia, by the way, is where Philippi is. Paul concluded, Acts 16.10, that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. God was stopping them here and stopping them there, stopping them in Asia, stopping them in Bithynia. He said, go to Macedonia, and that's where you need to preach. Because i got my hand on Lydia, and I'm going to open her heart to believe. And so that's what they did. 
You see God working to direct their steps. Proverbs 16.9 says it right. The, the, man of way plan, the man, mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. They were planning Asia. They were planning Bithynia. But God directed their steps to Macedonia. And that's what you see here. Exactly. And so they crossed the Aegean Sea and they came into Philippi. And Paul and Silas and Timothy went down to the river to this place of prayer and encountered these women. It was no accident that Paul encountered these women. It was a divine appointment. And it became clear as they spoke Jesus to her. And we don't know exactly what they said, but surely you can just look and see what Paul always said when he was speaking in the synagogues. They spoke of Jesus, how he was the promised Savior of the Old Testament. And surely they spoke of how he lived, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And surely they spoke of his death, how he was crucified by the Romans. And probably a, a key accent to his, to his talking to Lydia was the resurrection. Because you read through the, the, gospel, the, the accounts in Acts and it's the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, which, which comes. He, he's alive. He proved himself. We've seen him. All these people have seen him. That's the proof. What he said was true. So they spoke of the resurrection. Here was this Jesus. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He lived a life. He didn't deserve to die, but Pilate put him to death. But he was in the, in the tomb for three days. But you know what? He rose again. And we've seen him. He's alive. He's conquered death. So that now we who believe in him are freed from our sins. That's the message that Paul was always preaching all these places. And surely that's the message he preached to Lydia. And as he was speaking, God was working. And God opened the heart first. And then she believed. And you know what? It doesn't happen all the time that God opens hearts. There are plenty of people to whom Paul spoke where their hearts were closed. They didn't believe in what he said. And if you've been out there speaking with people about Jesus, if you've had opportunities to tell people about Christ and His glories and how, how wonderful, how fair He is, Fair are the meadows, but fairer still the Lord Jesus. If, if you've been out and speaking with people for any length of time, you, you find out pretty quickly that most hearts are closed. And few are open to what you say. Most people don't believe. And I say, why don't they believe? Because Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. They might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Second Corinthians 4.4 4. And God in His mysterious plan, doesn't open the heart for them to believe. But when God works, and when He opens hearts, people will believe, like Lydia, like the Philippian jailer, and it's thrilling to see. And when you see it, it will give reasons for you to rejoice in the Gospel. That's what Paul is doing. He's rejoicing in the Gospel. The Gospel says, if you believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, you're secure forever. If He begins this work in you, He's going to bring it to perfection. And Paul had seen their fruit over the past decade of their lives and knew that God, yes, had indeed begun this work in them because the, the, the fruit of a life demonstrates that, that God had worked. And so that's what was happening with Paul. And Paul knew that this would work until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, until the day when Christ returns to this earth. The day when He, he brings ultimate salvation to those who have believed in Christ. When He ushers in His kingdom, where he, he condemns and judges the lost and casts them into hell and brings those who believed in Him into His kingdom with new bodies to worship Jesus forever in heaven. That's the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul's thankful and prayerful and joyful for God's work in the Gospel. For their past, how they believed, there's always remembrance of them, their partnership and their... Their destiny. And the obvious point really is this. Has God begun a good work in your heart? Has He begun this work? If Paul would look over your life and, and, and observe your life like he observed the lives of those in Philippi, would he be able to say your, see your life and say... I'm confident in this very thing that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Paul, this is not a promise to everybody. This is a promise to the Philippians who he saw were, were rejoicing in the gospel. And he said, you all who, who have come to faith and come to believe and, and have borne that out in the fruit and the sharing of the gospel, I know God is going to bring that work. If Paul would look at you in your life, is that what Paul would say of you? Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord has never begun a work in your life. And I call you to seek the Lord. I call you to confess your sin to Him 
and find in him to be a merciful Savior who will forgive your sin. Jesus said, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So see your sin, cry out to the Savior. Come to Jesus who is able to forgive your sins. And know that if you come to him, you'll never be cast out, but you'll be secure until the day of Christ Jesus. And you can look forward to that day, not as a day of judgment, but as a day of joy. We need to enter into the heavenly kingdom. That's a day of ultimate salvation. You can look forward to that day when everything's made right and you enjoy His everlasting grace. I've been reading this book recently, Extravagant Grace. Darren Weeby gave it to me. And um, Barbara, I don't even know her last name, Dugoid. Do you know how to say her last name? Yeah, I don't know her last name. Do, do whatever. But she's writing basically this book about extravagant grace is a, is a book about John Newton and his pastoral theology to people. And so one of the things that he said was, um, so what do you do if you're reading this and you begin to suspect that you're still a baby Christian, not quite as mature as you thought? Should you be discouraged? What if this chapter sounds like someone you are mentoring or sounds like your spouse and your children, your parents, even your pastor do panic? And John Newton's answer is absolutely not. His calm and steady assertion is that the God who began a good work in each Christian will carry it out to the day of completion, which is an enormous source of comfort and relief. Verse 6 ought to come as comfort and relief to us. Spiritual growth to maturity is God's work from beginning to end, and He alone will get the credit. The same God who made the universe out of nothing and who counts the hairs in your head will have His way with you in all things. He does not ordain the beginning and the end of your story only to leave the middle part, your life as a believer here upon earth, up to you. That means that at this very moment, you are exactly as holy and mature in your faith as God wants you to be. He cannot be disappointed in you or surprised by you if He is the one controlling the entire process of growth from start to finish. Furthermore, all the people whom you love and wish were more mature are also exactly where God wants them to be right now. He always gets His way and you cannot stop Him. Praise God for this good news. Contrary to popular belief, our spiritual growth is not up to us, nor is the spiritual growth of other people around us. This misunderstanding can lead us to much inward anxiety and even abusive behavior if we try to force people to understand the truths that they are not ready to hear. We need to listen carefully to people's stories and seek to discern what God is doing and isn't doing in them rather than to attempt to force them to achieve instant maturity. And I just say these, verse verse 6, you began a good work, will perfect it till Christ Jesus should come as a great encouragement to your soul if you're believing and trusting in Him. Let's pray. Lord, what a rich text this is. Just a a further expansion of rejoicing in the Gospel. Help us, O Lord, to be thankful, prayerful, joyful people. God, who who think of others thankfully and joyfully rather than critically. God, who engage ourselves in helping the gospel go forth and it rests confidently, O Lord, in the fact that You, who began Your work, will perfect it in us. Lord, we, we long for that perfection to come sooner. We long for sin to be turned from quicker. And yet through it all, God, whether quick or slow, whether hard or easy, I pray you teach us every day, every moment to trust you. I, I need you every hour, every hour. Oh Lord, I need you. So come to us, O oh Savior. Be with us and help us to walk a dependent life trusting in you. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus who saved us from our sins. Amen.